Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain, may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of God. Good afternoon, family. We just said uh, thanks be to God, and that is true. Thanks be to God for this truth in this passage. Paul here in Philippians chapter 3, this passage is at the center of what Paul says it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian does not mean, it's not about what family you were born into. To be a Christian is not about what culture you're from, what music you listen to, what food you eat. To be a Christian is not about what school you go to or how much education you have. To be a Christian is not about how spiritual you are or what rules you follow. That's not at the essence what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian is to know Jesus. To know Jesus, to know Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. And this is at the center of Paul's theology. He says, what, what means more to me than anything else in the entire world is, is knowing Christ. What Paul says is, listen, if you want to have a life that is filled with joy... If you want to have a joy, that, if you want to have a life that is characterized by, by happiness, by satisfaction, if you want to be fulfilled in your life, here's, here's what you got to do. Here's what it takes. Know Jesus. Know Jesus. This is beautiful and this is liberating. And I'm excited to jump in this with you. I want to start with, with what Paul says he's tried. 
in the beginning of our passage, he says, hey, there's some things that I, I've attempted. I've tried to go find joy in those places. But what he's also going to tell us is that they are not enough. And he's going to tell us what brings me the most joy is knowing Jesus. And here's the implications of what knowing Jesus is all about. So let's, let's look at this. Look with me in verse 5. Paul says, here's what I used to boast in. Here's what I used to glory in. Here's what I used to get my joy in. Here's what I used to find, try and find happiness in. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now we can go in depth on what all this means. But basically what he's saying is, I thought I could find my joy in coming from the right family, having the right ancestral tradition, speaking the right language, my culture, my ethnicity. I thought I could find joy there and happiness in there. But then he says, wasn't enough. Look at your neighbor and said, you can't find joy there. You can't find joy there. Which is good news. Some of us come from good families. And we want to try to live up to the names that we received. Others of us would rather not don the name that we received. And what, what, what Paul is saying here is, you neither have to be confined to that name, nor are you burdened with that. Because what I've got for you is better than any name could provide. So, you can't find joy in coming from the right family. Next he says, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. In other words, I have all the academic qualifications necessary to have a life of joy and happiness. I'm the smartest guy around. Now, some of you might be able to say that. You were top of your class in high school, or at least the eighth grade. Maybe you made honor roll a dean's list. And you've got the qualifications that it takes to make a name for yourself and have a joyful life. And Paul says, listen, I had all that. And it was not enough. Look at your neighbor and say, you can't find joy there. Which is hope to some of us who aren't the smartest ones in the room. Look at what he says there. Next. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. A persecutor of the church. In other words, I was the most intense, committed person to my crew. I had their back. I was in it for the long haul. Ride or die. I'm in it. Which some of you might say, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not quite that intense of a person. Or some of you want to find all that you have in being the most intense person. I am sincere in what I believe. I know what I believe and I can stand on it. Paul says, can't find joy there. Look what he says next. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. I kept all the rules. Now, we got to remember what this means. When Paul says, I kept all the rules, he's saying, I kept all of the Old Testament law. Which means if it looked like caring for my neighbor, I did it. If it looked like going to church, 
I did it. If it looked like giving alms to the poor, I did it. Kept them all. But there's not joy there. Some of you spend all your lives trying to follow a set of rules. I know I do. I know, y'all know I do. My dad used to tell me that he would say, how long did it take to get from Oklahoma City to Dallas? Most people, three hours. Chauncey? Good 345. Because I wouldn't go above the speed limit. Every drawer in my house has to be shut a certain way. Bed made a certain way. Grades a certain way. And Paul's saying, there's not joy there. All that's going to lead to is anxiety, not joy. Because here's the things that, that, that will not bring you joy. Teachers, you can have your classroom set up perfectly. Not going to bring you joy. Engineers, you can get down to 0.01% error. Please do, but it's not going to bring you joy. Musicians, you can have the tune just right, the melody perfect, the harmony, voice to men. It's not going to bring you joy. You can try and keep all the rules. It's not going to be enough. Because Paul said, I tried it. I tried it. And, and Paul, is not, Paul is not trying to get the Philippians to any, any kind of wishful thinking here. Paul is saying, listen, it's not just that it's not going to be enough. He said, I am, I am passionate about this because I want you to live a joyful life. I care about your good. I want you to be happy. Really happy. Not the kind of happiness that kind of ebbs and flows with situations. I want you to be, I want you to be satisfied, fulfilled in your life. Look at how passionate he is. Look at verse 2. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, what he's talking about is his own people. The Jewish people would have thought of people who are not Jews as dogs. Because they didn't eat the same food they did. They ate unclean food and clean food, just like dogs do. And so Jews called Gentiles dogs. People who were outside of the Jewish faith, they called them dogs. And Paul's saying, people who are focused on external acts of righteousness, of just keeping all the rules, those are the dogs. They don't really know what's clean and unclean. To look out for the evildoers. Now, again, his friends were the ones who, who kept all the good works. They did all the good works they could. And he's saying, listen, those good works will not bring you joy. In fact, they're actually they're evil works because all your good works are like filthy rags. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's talking about those who are circumcised. He's saying that circumcision you think is a mark of what it means to know Jesus and to know God. Actually, it's just you gashing yourself. It's not going to bring you joy. Paul is zealous about this because he wants them to get to the central truth. He says, all that stuff won't bring you joy. In fact, 
What you thought was gain is actually loss. Some of us live lives as if there's some point system we got to keep. It's like, I got to be born into the right family. I got to live in the right neighborhood. Now, in the right neighborhood, maybe, it may be the nicest house, the most resourced area, or we might have the opposite idea. It might be that I got to live in the most under-resourced place. I got to be down with the mission. And he's saying, it's not about your neighborhood. A lot of us, a lot of us, have points, if I have the nicest or the, or the right house, if I have the right car, if I have the right spouse, if I date the right person, if I have the right degree, if I keep the right rules, if I do all the right stuff, if I get all the right job, I cheer for the right team, I go to the right church, I have the right friends, it's going to bring me joy. And what Paul is saying is, not going to bring you joy. There is one thing. Look at verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as, as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing Worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul's saying if you want to know what it means to have a joyful life, to have a, a life of satisfaction, here's what it's about. It's about Knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus brings about real happiness. Knowing Jesus brings us the most joy. All the stuff that Paul was gaining and thought was gaining points in his life actually wasn't gaining many points. He's saying, actually, it was scoring baskets for the wrong team. It was giving me negative points. It was not only neutral, it was loss. I don't know if you ever played basketball. I don't know if you ever scored a point for another team. It's not the best feeling in the world. And Paul's saying, I spent half my life doing that. Losing points. Thinking I was getting on top of the world. Until Jesus found me. So how do you get that life? How do you get that life, that life of joy, that life of peace, that life of happiness? How do you get that life? What do you have to do to get that life? What Paul's saying is, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do, you don't have to do anything. Listen, this is the best news in the world, friends. You don't have to do anything. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, Let me start in verse 8. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Listen, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, 
But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. What is he talking about? He has righteousness of my own. He's talking about all the stuff he used to do. I tried to find righteousness. I had to be right with God on my own by having the best education, coming from the best family, speaking the right language, having the best ethnicity, whatever it was. And it was not enough. That's why the, that's trying to righteousness of my own from the law. But he said, that's nothing in comparison to the righteousness that comes by faith. The righteousness that comes from God by faith. What is he saying here? What he's saying is, is that I can't do anything to get the best life. I can't do anything to get a joyful life. I can't do anything to get right standing. I can't do anything to get points on the wall. I can't do anything for that. Jesus did. Jesus did. Jesus, God in the flesh, had nothing to prove to nobody. He had equality with God and counted it as nothing. Emptied himself, taking the very form of a servant, washing folks' feet. And he died a criminal's death, like a felon on death row. He died that because he deserved it? No. Because we did. None of us deserve to be united with you. None of us deserve to have relationship with God. None of us deserve to have our, our sins forgiven. None of us deserve that. Jesus did. And yet, he was cut off. See, circumcision is not something many of us like to talk about. Circumcision is a cutting away. And in the Old Testament, it was a sign of a covenant. A covenant is a relationship that's based on promises. And what folks used to do, instead of, if they had a contract to sign, they want to make a promise with somebody, make an agreement with somebody, instead of signing their name like we do on a contract, what they would do is they'd perform some kind of a special rite. And often it had to do with sacrificing an animal, or in this case, with cutting off a very sensitive part of yourself. And what they were saying was, is, is if I break the rules of this, of this agreement, if I break this covenant, if I break this contract, let whatever I just did to that animal happen to me. So God's people had a covenant. And the sign of that covenant was circumcision. What they were saying is, if I don't follow God, if I don't follow your, your, if I don't, if I don't trust you with all of my heart, love you with all my heart, love my neighbor as myself, if I don't, if I don't, if I don't perpetrate, bring about your glory in the world, then let circumcision happen to me. Let me be cut off from you forever, God. And none of us deserve, if you look at your own life, none of us have, Love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. None of us have loved our neighbor as ourselves all the time. We all deserve to be cut off. But on the cross, the Bible says that the Father turns his face away from Jesus. Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, second person of the Trinity, united with God the Father, was cut off. Because he deserved it? No. Because we deserved it. We all deserve the circumcision from God. That's what Paul can say here. We are the circumcision. Why? Because in Christ, 
Christ was cut off so we could be united. He said, you don't have to do anything to earn that. All you got to do is believe that Jesus is who he said he is. Receive, receive the gift. Trust him. Trust that you didn't have enough to, to, to give yourself the right life and that, and that Jesus did and offers it to you freely as a gift. Trust him. That's the righteousness that comes by faith. And what he says is, if you just trust Jesus with everything, you say, God, my life is yours. My ambition is yours. My vocation is yours. My relationships are yours. My school is yours. My friends are yours. My talents are yours. Everything is yours because you're the king and you died for me. He says, God will give you Jesus' righteousness. He's going to give you right standing before God. He's going to give you the joyful, happy life that Jesus deserved that we did and what we get freely as a gift. It's all about knowing Christ. It's all about knowing Jesus. So what does that mean for us? What does knowing Jesus mean for us? Look in verse 10. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. What does knowing Jesus mean for us? Knowing Jesus means believing who Jesus is and obeying what Jesus says. This means that sometimes it's going to come with suffering. Jesus may tell us to live in some hard places, but if I know him, he's going to be there when I get there. Jesus may tell me to do some hard things. But Jesus did the hardest thing of all, and he promised to never leave us or forsake us. It may mean loving people like Jesus loves people means maybe giving up something that I value that I think is going to make me happy for the good of somebody else. But that's totally worth it because Jesus gave up everything for me. And, and, and. I got riches unheard of, inheritance in the heavens that are waiting for me. So if I lose everything now, If I lose everything now and pour my life out for other people because I know Jesus and his love compels me to do it, he says, I promise you, I'm going to give you more. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it back back to you and more. So if you lose brother and sister and mother and father and houses and land, guess what? You don't give back even more brothers and sisters and mothers and land and houses. You you cannot outgive God. And I know it. Some of you guys have paid my bills. Knowing Jesus, he says, is surpassing worth. We even talk about, we mentioned it, but. He said at the very end, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's saying, listen, you know, Jesus, you're going to rise again. Even if they kill you, it's not the end for you. Friends, this is the center of, of Paul's message. Everything else is based off of this knowing, knowing Jesus, which is worth everything. So what? So I know Jesus. Maybe you've 
known Jesus for a long time. Maybe today is the day where you're like, man, I've heard about Jesus and I've tried to live life my own way. And I just, I'm tired of being tired and I want to know Jesus. The one who conquered the grave, the one who, in whom death has no place. Today can be the day. Just open your heart to him. Lord, I want you. I believe you. Trust And that may come with a cost. See, knowing Jesus may mean saying no to some things. Knowing Jesus may mean saying yes to some things. I've had this guy on my, on my mind recently. His name is Franz Jägerstatter. Yeah, say it three times fast. He's an Austrian farmer. In the 1930s, he was devoutly Catholic. And in 1943, he developed a conviction that what was happening with the Nazis in his country was not something he could support. And so he decided in his heart, I'm I'm not going to support that. I can't support it. If I get a dream... And on, in the dream, he saw a train, massive train, rolling down the tracks. Everybody was getting on this train. Even children were getting on this train. And then he heard a voice saying, the destination is hell. And he opened his eyes and began to ponder what this meant begin to realize that in his dream this train was the Nazi regime taking families and even children to destruction priests and bishops and soldiers and farmers like him and he said but Jesus is enough and he said no he said no He was the only one in his village to not sign the commitment to the Nazis. He was arrested, taken to prison, beaten, separated from his wife and his four children. And he stayed there until his death. They cut off his head. I want you to hear his words that he wrote from his prison cell. He said, out of my own experience, I can say that life is painful when one lives as a lukewarm Christian. To exist in this way is to have more than more the existence of a vegetable than truly to live. If a person were to possess all of this world's wisdom... And be able to claim half of the earth as his own. He could and will and would still be less fortunate than a poor person who can claim nothing in this world as his own other than a deep Catholic faith. I would not exchange my small, dirty cell for a king's palace if I was required to give up even a small part of my faith. All that is earthly no matter how much nor how beautiful, comes to an end. But God's word is eternal.
This is a man who knew Christ. And because he knew Christ, he could say no to some things that were evil, that were wicked. Even when everyone else in his village said yes, he said no. Even when his parish bishop said yes, he said no. Because he read the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, turn the other cheek does not mean slaughtering Jews. God's word compelled him. God's love committed him to the work. Because he knew Jesus. I don't know if saying no is going to look to you like saying no to a regime and getting arrested and having your head cut off. But it might mean saying no to gossip in the workroom. It might mean saying no to racism. It might mean saying no to hate. Ask the Lord, well, what does it look like to know Jesus? And what does that mean I have to say no to? It might mean saying yes to some things. I would ask you, what is Jesus asking you to say yes to? I don't have a historic story about that because I see them all around the room. Saying yes might mean moving overseas to reach an unreached people group. Saying yes might mean taking a lower paying job to teach kids in an under-resourced neighborhood. Saying yes might mean standing up for a kid at school who's getting bullied. Saying yes to Jesus might mean Dropping something really important to join a community group. Seeing people who are going to hold the ropes for you. Saying yes to Jesus might mean getting up 15 minutes earlier to read the Bible. To know this Jesus. So you can get the next thing to do. I don't know what it looks like for you. Trying to figure out what it looks like for me. To be a husband who says yes to Jesus. To be a father who says yes to Jesus. To be a pastor who says yes to Jesus. To be a volunteer who says yes to Jesus. What does it look like? Because here's the beauty. When Paul says the very first verse, he says, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Whatever God, whatever Jesus asks you to say no to. It's going to bring you more joy if you say no than if you say yes. Whatever Jesus asks you to say yes to is going to bring you more joy to say yes than it is to say no. So whatever God's asking you to do, do it. That's where joy comes from. That's where contentment and satisfaction and fulfillment comes from. It's from knowing Christ, which is better than anything else. Why don't you bow your heads with me and pray? Our Father in heaven, I don't feel like my words can fully grasp or express how big this is for us. So would you, by your spirit, teach us to know Jesus? To surrender more to Jesus. I thank you so much for the gift of Jesus. For the gift of yourself. 
God, I pray that every single one of us, you would search our hearts, know our ways, forgive us where we fail. Help us press on in knowing Christ. Thank you for inviting us to know you, for inviting us into joy, inviting us into life, inviting us into peace, inviting us into hope. God, help us live in response to that. Pray this in Jesus' name.